0: We'll let you check my mic. I don't know if we've checked this one yet <laughs> on the new board. Do you guys enjoy worship today? Yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I did. I've um, got a few things kind of up front. Um, first of all, I believe in me being um, honest and transparent with you guys. Uh, I have been battling, a, and I'm currently feeling, <laughs> a spirit of anger. Um, I don't know entirely what it's come from or why. I'm typically not an angry person. Um, Usually because when I get really angry, I cry, and it's embarrassing. Um, It happened in football. Uh, I got in a fight when I was in seventh grade. Um, This guy wasn't happy that I blocked him. So when I turned around, he um, started coming at me, bro. And uh, (laughs) I took care of business. um, But when I got kicked out of the game, I started crying because I was really angry. And uh, it's hard to do in a uniform. I tried rationalizing it to myself, saying that you know this this text won't really be affected by that. And there's always kind of a uh, a fight to protect the heart of the speaker, the pastor. Um, not just on Sunday morning, but all through the week. That's why I constantly tell you guys to pray for Matt um, because the the warfare that goes on is real. But anyways, I tried to rationalize it for myself, saying that no, it's this text I whatever spirit I have isn't really going to affect this. I can't twist it in any way that would, you know, like make my anger feel better. Like I don't have anybody to call out or anything. Um, but I, and trying to rationalize that, you know, Matt said, yes, it will it can still affect you. And, and I believe that's true just on the speaking sense, but it can affect the text. After I kind of got some time to myself to pray um, before worship, it, it Anger can uh, affect this text, and what's weird about it is, um, I don't know, it, it's just God's Word is active and moving, and as I was reading this again before, our, uh, before we started worship, um, this is not Paul yelling, okay? It's going to feel like it, especially as we move through chapter 2, and, and I'll explain some of that later. It's going to feel like that, but this entire passage is based out of Paul's care, for the Colossians. It's his care. It's his concern. It's, it's everything that's wrapped up in him worrying about the Colossians. And so if I were to approach this from even some sort of sense of anger, um, I, I can completely convey the wrong point that Paul is really trying to get across here. Um, he's proud of the Colossians, as opposed to the Galatians, which we're going to talk about. Um, he's proud of the Colossians. Um, so I, I just want to let that uh, be said. Um, following that, though, um, worship this week was awesome for me. I don't know if you guys knew. Uh, we got a new board, and it completely changes everything for the people on stage that are using headphones. Um, it doesn't sound like we're playing in the bottom of a Folgers can anymore. Um, it actually sounds like we're playing in a band. <laughs> um, so that, that's helpful. But that being said, I've noticed and always noticed this, even especially when I play bass, but even on drums, um, I don't have to sing the words. Uh, so it's a lot easier for me to avoid them actually penetrating me. Um, it's a lot easier for me to kind of avoid uh, singing Amazing Grace, realizing how, how horrible I am, because I can just play my beat and make sure the song goes. Um, so pray for people who aren't singing up here, um, mainly Robbie and myself. Um, we don't typically sing, and we're very preoccupied with what we do. that it, it can be hard for us to worship. Um, So, all that being said, um, I want to hit this. I'm excited about this. Um, I have been all week. I've been excited since I got pregnant, because that typically means I have a 90% chance of getting to preach at least once. Um, It happened last time. At least this time I had some time to prepare, rather than just, you know, the night before. Um, That being said, my notes disappeared last night, so I have to retype them last night. So it's kind of both. Um, But with all that, let's go ahead and dive into this. Uh, This is kind of a cool week, a cool text, because we're actually officially done with the introduction. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, eight weeks of introduction. Um, That—that is Paul's rather lengthy introduction that we've just finished. We're actually getting into really the body of what he's writing. Um, What I want to take a look at first is kind of some introduction because we are shifting gears a little bit here, out of his introduction into the body of his letter. You have typically, when you write one at least, a transitional statement, right? So you say, hey, how are you doing, you know, in the notes that you used to fold up in origami and pass. Um, you got your intro, but then you have some sort of transition, or at least you should, to say, all right, this is kind of where business happens. Um, if we're looking at this and we're going to kind of, and the reason I have three verses is very specific. Uh, my goal this week is to just set us up, really, for what we're going to be hitting in the, in the following weeks. Uh, A is kind of my verse and kind of Matt's verse next week. It's going to be both. Um, So I'm going to try not to take too much of his stuff because I still want him to be able to have all of his time, but there's plenty in there. Uh, So if you uh, look at Colossians, let's do some review, all right? Because like I said on Wednesday, and I hope they did on Tuesday, it's going to be very easy in this series to compartmentalize everything that we do and forget the big picture of how all this ties together, the fact that it is a letter, the fact that it is a complete thought by Paul. And not only is it a complete thought, but it's a thought that pulls back on itself multiple times. We're going to see a lot of parallels in two verses today, uh, that parallel almost the entire first chapter. So let's look back and cover some ground. Um, Verses one and two of chapter one are really the, hey, it's me. Uh, From verse three to two, five, that's the actual opening of the letter. So we had that hymn, we had kind of some some pseudo warnings, some some little direction, uh, and then we get into where we are now. And what's really cool is in verse 6, um, I don't know why they decided to break them up in these ways, but in I'm sure some of your Bibles it says Christ versus the Colossian heresy, right? No? Paul denounces false teachers? Something like that? Sure. Okay, it doesn't matter. That's not scripture. Um, <laughs> what's cool though is verse 6. Verse 6, let's, let's read that again. Um, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. And, and, uh, what is my phrase whenever we get to a therefore? what's the therefore, therefore, right all right um, therefore is a transitional statement, like we talked about, therefore is going to say because of all this, this makes sense because of all this, therefore, do this, so the therefore is our is our real transition, and, and let's look at where we've been what are we coming from to this new action so from the beginning of the book, we've seen a few things. The first thing we've seen is Paul has spotlighted the person of Christ. He's ruler of both the old creation and the new. That's verse 15 through 20 of chapter 1. We've seen the substance of the mystery. That's uh, what I talked about last time I got to preach. Uh, specifically, the mystery is what? Is Christ in you? It's not just Christ. It's the fact that you have Christ. He's in the believers. Uh, we see that it's God's plan for human history in two. Uh, we see that Christ is the repository of all wisdom and knowledge. All of that is found in Him. Uh, and finally, we, we've been reminded um, that they and we, by extension, they have responded to the message about this new Lord of the universe and given themselves to His service. So it's a different, different approach than what we typically see in Paul. Um, sometimes he's, he's, you know, going after them, saying, "You're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. I can't believe you're doing this. Why are you doing this?" Um, but in here in Colossians, we see that he just kind of sets up a huge, huge, awesome picture of who Christ is and says, you guys have been learning this, you know this, you've received it, you're living in it. And he says that, continue on in that multiple times in the first uh, chapter. So when we see verse 6, finally, the therefore, the focus of verse 6, and in a sense the entire letter, is the response that Paul calls his readers to make, to continue to live your lives in him. So verse six is the beginning of the body of the text. Uh, It is the beginning of the response. And and (laughs) what's going to be interesting is this is the first imperative that we see in Colossians, the first true imperative. Um, An imperative is is a command. It's something that it's imperative that you do like that. Uh, If you don't like being told what to do, uh, this is not going to be the place for you over the next several weeks. There are roughly 28 more imperatives to follow after this one, okay? Uh, For my count, I found about 28. Um, 28 things for the Colossians, and then by extension for us to do. So that's coming from your pastor. Um, I will stand behind him on this, but um, this is kind of the setup for this. This is the first imperative that we see, and there's about 28 more to follow before the end of the book, which is quite a, quite a bit of instruction. So what Paul is wanting them to do is respond. You've seen this. You've done this. It's time to respond. What, what do I do? It's kind of like you have somebody come up to you and tell you something really cool. They're like, oh, you won't believe oh, I'm so excited about this. All right. And what do you want me to do? Um, they just kind of leave you hanging. Uh, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He, he dives into this and says, this should be your response. And twenty-eight other responses. All right. Um, So as they have begun, so they must continue, looking to Christ and Christ alone for all their spiritual needs. Um, Paul's pattern that you're going to see here is really cool. A lot of times he starts off with the indicative, uh, which would be kind of our our uh, beginning, the opening of the letter, the introduction, and then he kind of launches into the imperative. And it's it's a very typical style for him. Um, I'm giving you some book backgrounds right now. it's not uncommon for Paul to start with the indicative and then launch into the imperative. Paul is a rhetorical master. He is good at uh, writing these type of things. Um, he's good at motivating. He's good at pointing out an argument. He's good at supporting the argument. He's good at telling you what to do so that you're not left hanging. Um, as opposed to Peter, who just says stuff, um, because that's who he is. Peter the fisherman just kind of says what he wants to say. He's bold about it, and it's really fun to read him. But to compare reading like First and Second Peter to Paul's writings is just completely different worlds. It's really interesting to look at those. But we see kind of this, this flow that he has, and it's not, it's not cut and dry. I mean, we see some imperatives back there in chapter 1 and verse like 23, uh, verse 26. Uh, we see some pseudo-warnings like, beware, you know, continue on, if indeed you do. So there's things for you to do, but it's not, it's not issued as a command-command, like go to the grocery store. That is a command. It's kind of a warning. It's kind of a you should do this type thing. But we get ready to launch into really um, what he wants them to do. All right. um, the cool thing, and this kind of wraps up my introduction in this, is just looking at Paul's writing again. I want to take one more look at this. Paul's writings are just incredibly rich. If you've never peeked at Romans, um, that is some rich rich stuff. And what's cool about Paul is that he could never talk about theology for long without application. So this idea of leaving you hanging of saying, okay, well, what do I do with that is not Paul's style. He never leaves you hanging without application, nor though could he speak for long about the Christian life and your behavior and how you, how you should live without the allusion to the theology that buttresses and gives shape to that life. So he's not going to sit there and give you a bunch of theology. He's, I mean, we just read a, a huge Christological piece in, in chapter one, right? That is theology. What do you do with that? That's what we're getting ready to talk about. Now, he doesn't also just give us these 28 imperatives of you need to do all this stuff without telling us why and how we can do it. We, we get the theology with the application. We get the application with the theology. And Paul is excellent at partnering those two things together. So through that, we're getting ready to discover. We know why we should where it comes from. We see that it's Christ who purposes our faith to the end and perseverance, right? We see that it's Christ's work in our life to push us through that. So what do we do? How do we respond? What completes that picture? So let's go ahead and, and just break this down verse by verse. Um, we're doing 6, 7, and 8. Um, it's going to be pretty concise, and uh, hopefully it'll launch us in um, to really part 2 of Colossians. Um, so, all right, let's hit this. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 6 is a positive exhortation to continue to live in Christ. All right, we're looking back at what we were. What did we just read? Well, let's go ahead and read 1 through, um, one through 6, or 1 through 5, rather. Uh, look at your Bibles, Colossians chapter 2. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Him. In verse 4, I am saying this so that you, no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. Is that an imperative? No, it's a warning. This is different than um, what we're getting ready to see in verse 6. Is that, that is a warning as opposed to a do this. Uh, So we see, as you, um, sorry, I'm saying this, that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, this is a positive thing. We're, We're starting with the strength of their faith in Christ. It's completely different than saying, why are you not listening to the word that was given you? Therefore, walk in Christ. This is a positive exhortation that he's giving. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So we begin with a positive exhortation, uh, and it's similar to an in echoed in his, in his prayer in chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. Hop back a page. What's his exhortation in chapter 1, verse 10 through 12? It says, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who has enabled you to share in the saints inheritance in the light. We see this idea of walk happening in both places. Uh, He he echoes a lot of what he talks about. He set it up already and now he's giving us direction and response. Uh, we also see an echo of his warning in chapter two, verses four through five, that we just read: that no one will persuade you with per, or deceive you, rather, with persuasive arguments, uh, and, and that he is gone, but he is with them in spirit, and so that they are knitted together in love. Remember. So we go from there. Um, we've seen and been reminded of what the whole first part of the letter is: Jesus Christ is Lord, and we have entered into his lordship. So what do we do now? Um, our response, finally, is a specific command and a warning. We're to continue to live in him, to work out just what it means in both our thinking and our acting to live under the lordship of Christ. Our response is to continue to live in him, to work out just what it means in both our thinking and our acting to live under the lordship of Christ. All right, so let's break this down a little bit. We've got our response, see where we need to go. Let's see what, what kind of words he uses. He says, as you received. Receive can typically mean to accept or receive the tradition of Christ and his significance. So we look at the tradition of who the church is becoming in um, acts, and we see how that kind of molds and transforms and just becomes what God has created it to be. It can typically be mean just to receive that tradition in Christ and, and understand its significance. However, the only time that it is ever used in the New Testament, the word receive, with a personal object... Um, just as you received Christ, uh, to receive Christ in this verse is not only a matter of receiving his person. It, is all, it also involves a commitment to the apostolic teaching about Christ and his significance. All right, you're saying, what's the difference? I understand if I receive this tradition that it's, it's still Christ, right? I, I receive Christ as the tradition of what Acts is becoming, what orthodoxy is. I'm receiving that and I understand it. And I understand that it's significant. That's why I'm a Christian. I understand that Christ died for me. But he uses receive a different way by using, just as you received Christ, it's a personal pronoun, and we see that he wants them not just to understand the teaching, that he wants them to understand and receive the apostolic teaching. You're going to see why that's important in just a minute, but we're looking at not just human tradition and the church tradition, but specifically the apostles' teaching. Why is that important? We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Um, what I also want you to see is that uh, this tradition uh, stands in contrast to human tradition. All right, so it's two different, two different schools. Receive can just simply be receive and understand and understand the significance. Or it can be a specific type of tradition. It's going to stand in contrast to verse 8 when we start talking about human tradition that the false teachers are relying on. And so let's, uh, let's hop into the next thing. He says, be careful. Uh, I'm sorry. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Paul gave us like 30 verses on who Christ is. And he summarizes it with simply Christ Jesus the Lord. If I were to ask you the question, just anybody in Bible study or after, after church, whatever. If I were to ask you right now, you can answer in your head, who is Christ? How would you respond? How would you explain Christ to me? How would you say? It? I mean, there's different descriptive descriptive words that we can kind of throw in there. Um, this is the problem with language, right? Vocabulary is important, not just because we are able to use the same words, but because we understand the meaning, we understand the meaning and all that it involves. Having a higher vocabulary allows you to convey more with less words. Having a higher vocabulary allows you to say a word that embodies the entire thought, procedure, practice of whatever it is you're talking about and deliver that in one word. Whereas if they don't understand that word and they don't have the same vocabulary, you have to lower uh, your vocabulary to a different word and explain more, right? So what's really cool about his his summary here that he uses, I mean, we're taking a lot of text and just simply saying, you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. There's There's a lot that's getting wrapped up into that. It is a very succinct way for Paul to say that this is the image of the invisible God. This is the firstborn over all creation. This is the head of the body of the church. This is the mystery of God and it is the repository of all wisdom and knowledge that there could ever be. And in this central confession of just Christ Jesus the Lord, with all of its varied and far-reaching implications to which the Colossians need to return in order to ward off the threat of false teaching he summarizes simply just christ jesus the lord that's the whole definition it encompasses everything that he's described in chapter one when we look at 15 he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him he is before all things And by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, by making peace through the blood of the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And when we start with that, that is a foundation. Everything is wrapped up into that and very succinctly, Paul says that this is what you have to return to if you want to avoid and be, not be persuaded by false teaching. This comes after the warning that we see in verse 4. For I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. If you start with Jesus Christ the Lord, what can deceive you? What can pull you away? Plausible arguments? Not if you understand his definition of Christ Jesus the Lord. When we move on into, into walk. It is similar to verse 10. Um, walk is walk is not what we would consider walk. I think a lot of it has changed because of our culture. Um I was at the mall yesterday uh to meet Jess for for well, I wasn't really there to meet her for lunch. She texted me while I was already out there and said, Hey, I have lunch at two. You want to stick around? I'm like, sure. Um, so I read on my iPhone for a long time because uh, we didn't have Wi Fi for my iPad. Um, my eyes hurt now, but we stayed there. And uh, I walked outside to get my iPad out of my car. And uh, across the street was another store that I was thinking about, you know, I'm just wasting time at. And uh, I looked at it, and it was hot, and I'm sweating, and I'm like, I should walk. No, I'm going back inside. <laughs> um, we drive everywhere. We kind of lose the perspective and idea of what it means to walk or a day's journey or or whatever. Um, We can drive eight or we can drive four states away in like eight hours. Um, Just the idea of walking with, of of driving, it's just, it skews our perception of what I'm talking about with walk. Uh, We're not talking about take a walk, like go around the block. We're not talking about taking the dogs out. We're talking about following earnestly. See, for the the Jews and even for the Gentiles and and Colossians, um, this idea of walk had a much deeper meaning. When we talk about Jesus saying, come follow me, uh, the idea would be that you follow so close to your rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, that the dust from their sandals got onto you, onto your cloak, because you were right behind them, walking with them. It's not something you can do by, by staying, you know, far back. By talking with other people, you wanted to be right with your rabbi. You wanted to be right with your teacher so that anything I said, you could catch. And this idea of walk is lost on us because we don't walk with each other anymore. We don't walk with our teachers. We don't walk with Jesus and the Word. We read someone, it feels good. We read someone, it fits what we need. We read someone, we're missing something. We don't walk with Jesus. We don't continue on in Him. You see how this plays off perseverance? Perseverance is about, and if, you keep on in the faith. If indeed you continue on. This this idea that we have in the church of, I'm just going to get it when I need it. Rather than being on it all the time. So close to your teacher that the dust from his sandals gets onto your cloak. That's a different type of walk. That is an earnest following. That is an earnest effort to stay with Him. It should change the way that we approach this stuff. It really should. Therefore, if you, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him. So because of all of this, because of the teaching that you've received, you understand the apostolic teaching about Christ who is... All of these things, and now continue right behind him. That's verse six. Let's look at seven. This one's really cool. Verse seven says, Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So, verse seven begins with a series of four participles. All right, we got four different words really that we're going to look at. The first one, it says, What? Rooted. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him. So let's talk about rooted first. Rooted is in reference to horticulture, right? We're talking about plants, talking about trees, whatever it may be. They have roots. So we're looking at roots. Rooted is paired up with a similar verb, like we have rooted and built up. Rooted is uh, paired with a similar verb in Ephesians 3.17. talks about rooted and established, uh, literally to to lay a foundation. Uh, this idea of being rooted and, and built up and established, plucked together together. Um, a couple times here. So when we're looking at rooted, what what do roots do? Roots dig down into the ground, right? They can break through some pretty crazy stuff. That's why you have cracks in your driveway. Uh, Roots are strong. They go deep. Good ones do. And what do they do? What's their function? They draw up nutrients. They supply uh, energy to the plant so that it may grow. Uh, They provide all of that sustenance. Uh, And not only that, but what happens if you have really shallow roots and a windstorm comes by the tree? falls over. Uh, Last summer, there was some crazy windstorm down towards Wilmington, like right off of just on Justice Street. And uh, we turned a corner and there's this enormous tree just laying down. And this massive bunch of roots, but are pretty shallow, just out of the ground. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. The ground literally went like this and then dropped off where the roots are. Uh, This massive tree had really shallow roots and it was blown completely over. Absolutely blown over. And it's done at that point. There's no restoration for that. So, roots are important in going deep. What's cool about this rooted is it's a past tense rooted, right? The roots are already laid, the roots are already there. We have been rooted in Christ. But we don't just stop there rooted. We move on to built up. And built up is used not just for construction or for constructing. We think about, I'm going to build up. Uh, each other, and and encouragement. So the more I encourage you, the stronger you get. Uh, We try doing that with our guys. Um, We try to encourage them and build them up, right? It's not just a construction type thing, but it emphasizes that it is to build something on something else. That something else has to probably be a foundation, right? If you're going to build up, it's not just I'm going to build them up. Final picture, big picture. We have to remember the process of how you build up. So if you have one brick and you put it there, is that a build-up? No, (laughs) that's it. It's a brick. To build up is not just the big picture. It's the process. So you put in one brick. You put in another brick. You put in another brick. You put in another brick. And eventually you have a tower, right? Uh, As you continue to build up, that one is an ongoing word. So we have rooted, past tense, established. We have build-up, ongoing, growing. Um, Paul is suggesting here that believers can live lives that exemplify the Lordship of Christ only by remaining like branches, firmly attached to the vine in which God has Himself placed them. I have two examples I want to show you. If you have your Bibles, let's jump over to the uh, Gospel of John in chapter 15. It's weird not hearing pages turn because of all you guys on your smartphones. All right. John 15, talked about this a little bit um, not too long ago. John 15 is the the parable, I guess, of uh, the vine and the branches. Um, This is Jesus talking, Um, he's talking about him being the vine. So let's go ahead and read some of this, starting in verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes, the Father. And he, he, the Father, prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, Jesus, and I, Jesus, in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We look at this, this analogy of the vine and the branches, and we see Jesus being very, very... Um, clear about how this whole process works Um, the vine is what what provides everything that the branches need right Um, a vine has lots of branches but a vine also has branches that don't produce anything Um, we had a vine at my parents house that took over our entire fence it was gorgeous and eventually it started pulling it off the posts Um, there were branches on that vine that didn't produce anything nothing. They were just little sticks. Those get pulled off. When they get pulled off, something better grows back, right? We're the branches. He is the vine, and God is the vine or the vineyard keeper. What's interesting um, is to look and see just how clear he is in this process, that unless you stay in him, you will not produce anything. You'll be cut off, and you'll be thrown in the fire to burn we look at what the branches job simply is to do is simply to remain because we don't even produce the fruit he produces the fruit it's not our job to to draw nutrients it's not our job to produce food necessarily it is christ that does everything through and for us so as we look at that and we tie, kind of tie that into the idea of building that is kind of a rooted and built up in there so we are one vine together he is the vine we are the branches And everything gets produced because of him. So let's look at another analogy. Hop with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2 to the right. Speaking of Peter and his blunt words, um, we're going to get some of them here. But this one's pretty sweet. All right. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 5-8. It says, in verse 5, You yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in the Scripture, Look, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, and he quotes again, The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message and they were destined for this. We see this view now of us as living stones and we are being collected and built on top of each other. So as we look through our analogy that Paul gives us, we can see that in the first two participles that we are to be rooted, and that was done in the past. And as we go forward, we see that we are to be established or built up, and that is an ongoing process. And he takes each one of us, and he allows not just the big picture, but the process of something built on top of something. And it's not just us building on top of each other. It is what we are laid on. It is the foundation, the cornerstone that we saw in First Peter of Jesus Christ. Let's look at uh, the next thing. So we look at um, established. Uh, Let's look back at our text. It says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established. So established. It follows the metaphor of being firm or solidly grounded. Uh, With this third participle, Paul summarizes what he expects to happen as a result of the first two. So because you are rooted and because you are being built up, you will be established. Um, So, by sticking to your roots, by being built up, the readers will be established in faith. And what's interesting is that like the first two parsibles, this one is also in the passive mood, applying that God is the one that is doing the establishing. As he does the rooting and the building up, he is also going to be the one that is the establisher. He's the one that rooted our faith. He is the one that builds us up, and he is ultimately the one that we are trusting to be established on. Because he does not shift, because he does not change, because he is who he says he is. Because his word is the truth, because his word is absolute truth. It cannot be wrong in any way. Because we can stand on that, we know that we will be established. And it is not our doing, but it is God's. as the vineyard keeper. The thing, though, is it's not something that we arrive at. It's something that is an ongoing process. So just like our sanctification, this is really reflected in here. As we see that we have been rooted in Christ, we are being built up, and we are being established in faith. Because it is not done now. It is an ongoing process. What's interesting um, next is, is we see that it's in something. So the fourth participle, in the faith, can mean two things. Um, it can be one's personal beliefs. so Simply the beliefs that you have, um, that faith that you have, that is that faith. The second one that it could be, Um, and I think is, is the content of what one believes, rather than to the believing itself. So it's not just the fact that you believe something, it is what you believe. Um, So it seems that Paul is indicating that this is kind of the sphere in which the establishing is taking place. So the problem with breaking verses down is you start to lose some of the big picture. Let's look at the big picture. You are rooted and established, I'm sorry, rooted and built up, being established in, in what? In faith. And faith is not just God doing something. It's because of faith. You are being established in faith. And who do we see in Scripture as the one that provides faith? God again. <laughs> uh, faith comes through hearing the, God, hearing the word. It's nothing that we do. It is simply God giving us faith. And it just breaks my heart when I hear people like John Piper and Matt Chandler and David Platt and I, that I primarily listen to. And they pray almost every single time, God, give me faith. I'm like, for real, you guys? Where does that leave me? God is the one giving faith, and we need it all the time, because all of this is found in faith. Faith is what allows us to be, to be rooted, to be built up, to be established. It's an ongoing thing, and it is, it's not just what you believe in, it is what is true. And, and this is an important thing to, to establish, that it's not just the fact that you are believing, it's what you believe in. Because we're getting ready to jump into some false teaching, some heresy. So it can, if you want it to be, just the fact that you're believing something. Because that's what the Colossians were, were in danger of just doing. It's not that. It is, what is the faith? Like, if you can capitalize faith if you want. What is the faith? What is the truth? What are we established in? Is it something that shifts? Is it something that depends on man? Or is it apostolic teaching from God? inspired by God, the absolute truth of his word, which is it? As we look on, he, he says, then next, as you were taught. Paul brings us back to the, the, the tradition that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier. Is just as you received. Now, he's talking about Epaphras, uh, as we saw in, I believe, verse 1 and 2. No, oh, no, he says that later. Um, but Epaphras is the one that has been doing his teaching to them. Uh, Paul has not yet been here. That's what he's saying. For, I've not seen you yet. I'm with you in spirit. Um, Epaphras is the one that has been teaching them faithfully. And he's kind of thrown a, you know, a bone to him <laughs> saying, you've been taught. You've been taught accurately. You've been taught fully in this tradition. Uh, Epaphras has faithfully conveyed uh, the true message of Jesus Christ to you guys. You have what is true. So when he says rooted and built up in faith, Uh, And established in him just as you were taught. He's not going to say, be built up and stay in this just as you were taught if what you were taught wasn't true. If what you were taught was wrong, he would correct it. What you were taught is right. What you were taught is true. What you were taught is steadfast. Stand in that. Walk in that. That's what you effectively and, and push after. Walk after him because it's true, it is true teaching. As he wraps it up, we, we kind of see it seems like an afterthought because uh, the emphasis is what it is established in the faith, just as you were taught. And he kind of tags on a little thing, uh, overflowing with gratitude. Gratitude is is a big deal for Paul. Gratitude and, and rejoicing are, are kind of paired usually. Uh, he rejoices in what is going on and he has gratitude for what is going on in other people. He's rejoicing in what what in his suffering. He's rejoicing in the Colossians. He's rejoicing in how God is using him and and who he's revealed in Christ. He's rejoicing in all of that, and we we find thanksgiving and gratitude coming through that. And it's very obvious as we look through Paul's writings, through his work, that gratitude um, is is an important offensive measure against false teaching. Gratitude for God's grace is an important offensive measure. For fighting off false teaching, what is why? Why do we have to do this with gratitude? I mean, yeah, I, it's kind of like here's a present. I'm thankful for it. Why is there ongoing gratitude? I mean, there's two reasons. Two reasons for ongoing gratitude. One, everything except rooted is an ongoing process, right? And it's God's work. It's God's work doing all of this, and it's an ongoing process. So we are grateful that he's the one doing the work, and that it is an ongoing thing. So you can't just thank him at the beginning, because there's more happening. When we get here, we need to thank him. When we get here, we need to thank him. When we get here, we need to thank him. It is an ongoing process that we should be grateful for. But there's a second reason. If it were not for God's grace, we would be in the exact same place that these false teachers are. If it was not for God's grace, we would not be rooted were not for God's grace, we would not be getting built up and established. If we're not for God's grace, we would not have the correct faith for this to be built in. Everything is dependent on Him. Everything flows out of Him. In Colossians, this is what we see verse in and verse out. Every single time it is something that God is doing. It is something that God is furthering. We owe Him absolute absolutely everything for that when we see exactly how entrenched in our lives god is this nominal christianity stuff won't work this i'm gonna study when i feel like it stuff won't work this i'm gonna i'm just not gonna listen to the podcast this week it won't work as a as a speaker i need to to try to be honest with you here this is this what i'm getting ready to say is not a result of my anger okay um, that I was talking about earlier. This, this is concern. Uh, this is concern I have for you guys. How many of you guys have a smartphone? Okay. You guys who have a smartphone or a laptop at home with internet access have more access to theological understanding, equipment, tools, than anybody in history has ever had, even monks and monasteries. You can cover in a day through podcasts and articles but it would take people weeks to get through in libraries. We have no excuse for the amount of passion that we have for Christ. No excuse. I'm preaching to myself here too. I've got books behind me on the wall. There's books in his office that I just, I find other ways to fill my time. It's a shame how much has been made available to us that we just don't And what blows my mind as we jump back up to verse 3 says, All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. What wisdom and knowledge and treasure are we looking for if not him? What's our excuse? I know what mine oftentimes is, and what I'm concerned for you guys are. You guys are hard workers. I, I see you in your families, I see you in your jobs. I see you here. You guys are hard workers, and I appreciate that about you. You're not lazy i can't I can't launch that at any of you. You are not lazy. My concern is that our minds become most incapable and most undesirful um, of of searching for this stuff when we're fatigued and i I'm afraid that in our and our desire to work that we don't take the time to take care of ourselves and that we don't um, foster within ourselves a desire to seek and find the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge of God's mystery, Christ in us. Because for the Colossians... They could can, they not be rooted. They could not be built up. They could not be all those things, and they could be missing the point. Because what's coming after them is philosophies and empty deceit and human tradition. They're worshiping the wrong things. They're letting the wrong things creep in. And it, that can happen here. That can happen to each of us. So why overflow in gratitude? Because God is gracious. God is gracious in the fact that we ignore the, the tools that he's given us, yet he still maintains and holds us and sustains us. God's grace is integral to everything that we're talking about. So this idea of with gratitude is not is not an afterthought for Paul. And we can see it in that, but we can also see it in the word he uses before, overflowing. Overflowing in gratitude. I try to be a very I try to be very thankful for what I have. Um, A lot of times I can get kind of, because I am an introvert, I can get very introspective and kind of withdraw and think through things probably too much. And I can start to get depressed because of that. Um, And in those moments, I have to step back and say, God, you've provided everything. You've provided everything. You are gracious. You are giving. You are loving. You've given me everything. Everything that I need, and you do it because you love me. And the things that I don't think are good are good because you have nothing but good for me. Plans to prosper me, plans to plans to grow me. This is not the health, wealth, (laughs) and prosperity gospel. I am not in the best hell. I don't have a lot of wealth, and I'm not incredibly prosperous. Um, But what I know is that God is building me up to glorify him. That is health. That is wealth. That is prosperity. See, where we can easily tweak it to the other things. If you're obedient, God will give you this. If you if you name it, you can claim it, and, and that's, that starts to seep in like it has in our culture. And that, that is not the point. The point is for us to glorify God, to be overflowing in gratitude, thankful for his grace that allows us to live this type of life. So let's move on into verse 8. This is the first time i preached and not had a clock up here. Um, so I'm just kind of going. So we'll have fun. <laughs> um, I am saving some of verse 8 for Matt. Um, I'm just going to kind of set this up. Um, And then he can launch off of this next week. Uh, Let's go ahead and kind of wrap some of this up in verse 8. It says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. Um, In all the commentaries that I've been studying, this is kind of a transitional phrase. Um, I'm going to explain the verse and what I think he is speaking to. um, And then I think Matt next week will be able to take those and, and use the implications For that to kind of launch us into really the attacks that Paul's taking. The the thing that he's trying to combat. So let's just kind of work through this. First of all, it says, Be careful that no one takes you captive. Be careful is not a, dude, watch out. It's not a heads up. It's not a four. Um, This is a, these people are trying to take you away. This is kind of, it comes from a root of like kidnapping. (laughs) Um, It's not a heads up. It's a, be on your alert. Be on your guard. Be careful. Walk carefully so if we're walking in christ and we're supposed to be right behind him then we should be careful that no one takes us captive kidnapping you guys have seen taken liam neeson's awesome um that is kidnapping that is being taken captive this isn't a be careful that no one says something weird on your facebook this isn't something be careful that no one says something weird at work this is a somebody's trying to take you captive Take you captive. That is... (laughs) Alright, I hope you get it. Um, I'm not a very animated person. That's about as high as it gets. But take you captive. They want to take you away. And it's not a matter of us saying, Hey, I really like you coming to renovation. I hope you stay here. It's a matter of a shepherd guarding his sheep. It is a matter of a guardian watching the garden. It is not just something where we let a few weeds pop up. It's where you remove them vigorously. This is where the shepherd kills the lion that comes for the sheep, that kills the wolves that come for the sheep. If you want to call me extreme, you can. It's because your souls are in my hands. This is somebody who is trying to take you away, to take you captive, not just convince you of, of something weird or, or that this is extreme or that this is crazy. I don't care what you think about Scripture. Scripture is true, and we can stand on that. The concern is that they're trying to take just enough of Scripture to be deceitful, to be deceptive to twist you the wrong way. In Jewish culture, the path, they had this journey of life. Okay? And we see it all throughout Proverbs as you talk about, guide me in the ways that I should go. See it in Psalms when he talks about, guide me in the ways that I should go. We see it in Proverbs again as, let me choose wisely. Let me see how and reflect how the choices I make get me to where I am. It's the thoughtful and careful thought that he was talking about last week. I'm here. I have two places to go. Guide me, Lord. Let me walk in wisdom with you that I not be detracted, that I not be straying from the right path. And it's not, it's not the, the path is wide and the path is narrow. It's not that. Okay? That is different. We're talking about in your life as you make decisions, as you follow Christ, as you walk right behind Him, people are going to try to take you captive, not make you walk that way, take you captive. Is different. And this is dangerous, and this is a warning for us. It is not simply a, look out. It is a do this. You have no choice. And if you want to see it in a better picture, you can look at First Peter chapter five, and we see how the devil is a roaring lion, and he wants to devour you, not bite your leg off, kill you, rip out your throat, and leave you for dead. Where it's just it's over. This isn't a I can potentially be restored okay we find restoration we find find redemption in christ but this is this is evil forces trying to destroy you and the problem in our church is that we get so caught up on the fact that yes we can be redeemed and we fall into the trap of romans 6 that if their grace is abounding then i can just sin more and we don't label it that but we're good at rationalizing and when we get to this we find that it's not just another sin It is destruction. And it sounds ridiculous in our culture, but this is real stuff that will destroy your life, and not just your spiritual one, but your physical life. There's caution and care in Paul's words here. So as we move through what we're supposed to be looking for, we see a few things. The first one is philosophy. Paul is not saying that philosophy is bad, okay? A lot of people will say that Christianity is just, you know, whatever. We, we submit to something because we're stupid. Uh, and, that, and that religion is a crutch. Paul's not talking about not being intellectual here, okay? Uh, the philosophy, you know, and, and even now, we can kind of poke fun at philosophy. Um, Ambrose Beers a philosopher, defined philosophy as a root of which many roads lead from nowhere to nothing. Um, my, first, my first college class uh, was a philosophy class at eight thirty in the morning um, at Liberty and I had a uh, instructor called Mr. Provenzola. Um, he was Italian and he liked philosophy and he wrote all the books. Um, he's he a brilliant man. It took him 13 years to finish his doctorate. Not because he's stupid but because he like memorized everything as he went through. Okay that was my first class of college. Um, This guy was brilliant, and I actually took him a second time uh, because the way he he graded was bizarre. Um, I, like, got C's and D's on all my papers, but when we finished the term, I got an A both times. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's his philosophy or something, um, where he just pushes you and pushes you and pushes you and and makes you work hard because I I was really trying to get a B, um, or at least a C, and the D's weren't helping. Um, And I found out that I got an A. Uh, and I learned a lot in that class, and I, I really have an appreciation for philosophy um, greatly because of him. And uh, I, I I enjoy that stuff. Um, I read it on the side. It, it's fun, it, but it does kind of have this feeling of getting from nowhere to nothing. Um, you can philosophize all day and get nowhere. Um, <laughs> it's just how it works. Uh, I think that's part of the point, but I'm not entirely sure of that. Uh, Paul is not speaking of the discipline of philosophy in as much as the specific type of philosophy. He's speaking to a specific um, concern, a specific idea. Uh, now, he's not been there, so he's he's hearing this secondhand. Um, but he know, I mean, it, it's a specific type of philosophy. And we conjecture some of what that is. Um, whether it's some of the things to follow from Matt or some of the um, Gnosticism that was flooding through Greece uh, at the time. Uh, and we see a lot of that happening in Athens and other places. Uh, but as we, as we look at this, he's not talking about just philosophy. There, there's nothing wrong with intellectualism, um, sound learning, or intellectual inquiry. Um, we should be carefully thinking through what we believe and what we say. The problem is that it has a tendency to become high-sounding nonsense. Um, intellectualism is good in and of itself. Uh, however, uh, if you're not careful, it can just sound like nonsense to most people um, and even to other intellectual people. Uh, because, again, you can just philosophize about nothing. Um, the philosophy offered something here that we see that it could not deliver. Uh, It was a hollow and deceptive philosophy. Uh, I want to take a little time for the next thing. Um, We see, based on human tradition, uh, Next, empty deceit based on human tradition. So we talked a little bit about tradition before, the apostolic tradition. As you received Christ, you received that tradition of Christ. The human tradition here is that they're using man-based arguments. They're using man-based arguments and thoughts and processes to explain Christianity, to explain Christ, um, which is weird because, and this is what Paul is kind of perplexed by, by the Galatians. Um, he says, I'm perplexed. I'm frustrated by you. you. You've received this. Why are you straying from it? Uh, you know the truth. And why are you shifting your thought on it? Uh, it doesn't make sense. And for the Colossians, we see kind of a repeat of this, this human tradition thing. Um, this human tradition is is man-based, absolutely. And when we pair that with philosophy, it can be a high-nonsense man-based stuff. And for the Colossians, who are generally intelligent people, it, this can be deceptive. This can be some of the warning in verse 4 uh, with persuasive arguments. And the persuasive arguments, like we talked about last week, Something that has enough truth to to, to be plausible, right? Um, you don't get very far with crazy, right? Um, if you, in your small groups, have somebody speak up and they say, I really believe that Jesus was a girl and his name, her name was Jesse," um, We kind of just ignore that person from then on, right? Um, you can't get very far with crazy. But if I say that I think... Um, I think that, you know, we can be saved by, by Jesus. I think that that's spot on. We just have to make sure that we get baptized. Uh, I can be very vague in how I say that. not saying it's necessary that you be baptized to be saved. But my saying, just make sure that you do, implies that I think that's part of it. See how that can be a very careful thing to walk around? So like we talked about on Wednesday, are those little things important? Yes. Yes. What happens if you have a structure being built up, right? We're being built up in Christ and we remove a brick. And we start removing a few more bricks. Jenga, right? The whole thing can come crashing down over a few, few, just a little few, deceptive statements that are plausible. And so as we mix philosophy and intellectualism here, we've got to be careful. We have to be very clear about what we mean. But to be very clear about what we believe. We cannot stray to human tradition just because it sounds okay. That's why it's important for us to be rooted. That's why it's important for them to receive the apostolic teaching. It's completely, completely different. Thanks. So we move on to the last part of this. Uh, he says Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, that somebody offers you something that it can't deliver. Based on what? So what is R based on? Established in the faith. Here we have based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. The ESV says according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What are elemental spirits? Um, There's a lot of debate on this. Um, Let's just, let's talk about what we know, not about what it could mean, Okay. We know that um, this, this culture had, you know, Mount Olympus and the people that sat on top of it, right? That's the culture we're talking about. This is the people that believe that the stars um, and the planets and the elements and all of that were gods, right? A lot of Gnosticism uh, heresy started because of a lot of these Greek influences. Uh, they got mixed with other cultures as trade developed and stuff. And what happens is they have all these gods. So you start with Mount Olympus, right? You have Zeus and um, Helena and, you know, Artemis and all these other guys that are up there, right? And ladies. Um, Under them, you have a bunch of other gods. And if you're familiar with uh, Greek mythology or or Roman mythology, um, there's a bunch. There's a lot. And even under them, they have like demigods, right? You've got Hercules. You've got those other guys that are like demigods. And a lot of heresies were kind of about taking that picture and like overlaying it with Christianity. And and here's the problem and here's here's what's what's bad about that. Okay. Elemental spirits is like demonic forces, okay? We're talking about the main forces of the of the earth. So we have earth, wind, fire, water. Um sorry. Like I like that man. Like um <laughs> So we got disco and water. Um when you have those basic building principles, that's what they really took. And they believed everything was made up in that, and they, they worshipped those. So Zeus probably doesn't really care about what's going on with me. I'm, I'm going to give him something like every year. But at the same time, these guys are more concerned about me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, they're, they're, they're working with me. So I'm going to sacrifice stuff to them. And, and there's this syncretism, this pollution, all of this happening here that he's saying be careful of. And here's where the deceit, here's where all the danger comes in, is that it is not based on Christ. It is based on the elemental spirits of the world and not on Christ. And the danger for elemental spirits is, in their time, they overemphasize it. In our time, we underemphasize it. So you've got your crazy old grandma who used to say that the devil's in everything, right? So if you get a flat tire, the devil doesn't want you to drive. If you get, you know, anything, it's the devil's fault. We don't really have that problem anymore. Now... Um, I think the danger is we don't recognize spiritual warfare enough. Now, that being said, the majority of our sins, we can't blame on Satan. It is your flesh failing you. You are dead to sin. You have no power. Sin has no power over you anymore. Typically, when we sin, it's because of us. Very rarely have we ever been tempted so, so, so much that we could even begin to pin it on an evil force. But we need to understand that there's spiritual warfare going on. A pendulum is swayed way to the other side where we don't. We think if we just ignore it, it's not there. It's not true. There are. There is a prince of the air. There is a god of this world. It is not our heavenly Father. It is Satan, and he is in power over this place. You cannot just let that go because the danger, as they have here, is that you start to incorporate parts of that too here. So. Let's wrap all this up, uh, because Tim keeps waving numbers at me. Um, (laughs) I don't know how long I'm gone. I don't really want to know until afterwards. Um, It says, finally, in verse 8, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human traditions, based on elemental forces of the world, not based on Christ. What do you need to know going forward? First of all, our response is what? To walk in Christ. What's the warning? To not be taken captive, not misled, Captive. What do you need to know going forward as we continue on into Colossians chapter 2? What you need to know is that the ultimate point is that it is something based on Christ. As we go through a lot of these other imperatives, as we read um, on and we look at this idea of circumcision, as we look at this idea of the Judaizers putting stuff into a Christianity that shouldn't be there, as we look at this idea of philosophies and elemental spirits being brought into Christianity and in our faith, what do we need to know going forward? The litmus test for Christianity as we go forward is simply this. Simply this. The cross. It's the cross. If it's anything else plus the cross, it's no longer just the cross. If it's anything else minus the cross, or the cross minus something else, it is not orthodox. As we go forward and we're looking at all these things that are being added, that are being diluted... Our litmus test is simply, is it the cross? Because the cross is the foundation of everything. The cross is the foundation for us being rooted, is the foundation for us being built up, for us being established, and for our faith. And as we add other things to that, or as we take things away from it, we miss the picture. We miss Paul's idea of being established, well-rooted, of being based on Christ. What's the whole point of the entire first chapter if when we get to chapter 2 we're simply going to disregard everything that it says about Christ, who He is, what He stands for, and what He's done? What's the point? That's how you get taken captive. When you add anything, it is not the cross plus baptism. It is not the cross plus circumcision. It is not the cross plus attendance to church. It is not the cross plus your giving. It is not the cross plus your prayer. It is not the cross plus your penance. It is not your cross plus anything. It is simply Christ. Christ did it all, he sustains it all, and he'll finish it all. And as we walk through these dangers, and what the life of a new man looks like in Christ, we have to stick only to the cross. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for all that you've done, Father, for all that you've revealed, Father, the fact that you have given us everything we need in your son father the fact that you have uh, provided a way for us to sort through those who would not just derail us but father take us captive god that we understand that there's a real danger father in leaving your word there's a real danger and in, in not utilizing what you've given us and father that we have all these resources but father you've given us the holy spirit Father, the same power that took Jesus from birth to death and left him holy. Father, we have that power. Father, that he says that we will do greater things than he did because of what you've given us in the Spirit. God, I thank you so much for what you've given us, Father. As we leave this place, let us be encouraged that our foundation is firm. Let's be encouraged that that we are rooted in you. and Father, that we are attached to the vine, and Father, nothing can take us from that. Father, I just ask that you continue to allow your Son to produce fruit in us. Father, as we live for you and we become like your Son, God, that you will encourage and empower us to those ends. And we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.